0: Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, to hear you speak by your spirit into our lives today. We pray that you would do that now and that we would listen and that we would hear and we would understand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, beware of DIY. I don't know whether you can see with the brightness of the sun, uh, but uh, these pictures illustrate how dangerous DIY is. It's very, very dangerous, very bad for your health, doing it yourself. You can can see some of the the pitfalls uh, there. Uh, For me, I've only had to go to A&E once in the context of DIY, Uh, I got a small shard from a metal screw in my eye while I was assembling an IKEA table. So, beyond a no illusion, there's a serious business doing these things. I was told solemnly by the doctor that really one should wear goggles when attempting such a dangerous activity as putting an IKEA piece of furniture together. Well, actually, DIY may or may not come naturally to us, but there is something very natural about and human about doing uh, DIY about doing it yourself. London if we think about it is a very DIY driven city and I'm not talking now about home improvement and Ikea although plenty of that goes on but I'm talking about the desire for success and how that drives us to strive and to compete and to keep up. And I guess many of us do that at work, you know, you've got to prove yourself, you've got to impress the boss, you've got to impress the clients. Many of us do that at home as we seek to squeeze out every last drop of productivity in ourselves or in our children if we have them. Either way, you know, pack the diary, work hard, so that you can get the next best experience, the holiday, the house move, the home improvement project, the school place, the university course. In all of this, it can feel like it's DIY. Do it yourself. If we don't do it, who else is going to get it done? So it falls to us. Get it done, DIY. But what happens then is that we very often then apply that same kind of attitude even to God and to knowing God. If everyday life for many people is about proving ourselves and striving to be accepted, we then apply exactly the same attitude to God and the result is that for many people in our culture the assumption is that religion is all about working your way up to God DIY doing it yourself keeping various different rules in order to impress God keep him on your side keep him in your keep you in his good books and it's no wonder as a result that many people can't even in the end see why which God you believe in really matters all that much because you know most people think you know I'm I'm trying most of the time to be a good person and most people are trying to keep some kind of moral code even if it's one they made up themselves with their own personal exception clauses for when they don't quite meet their own standards But at the end of the day, why make such a fuss, many people would say, because at the end of the day, it's all about DIY, really. It's all about doing it yourself. It's all about just working hard in your life to be a good person, whatever that means. And everyone's got a different version of what that looks like. Well, that is the issue that is underneath these verses in Matthew that we heard. And it is the deceptiveness and the danger... Of DIY religion. That is what we're looking at here. Now, as we said, we've been looking at these chapters 14 to 17 uh, in Matthew. The big theme is that Jesus is building his church, gathering his people. But as he does that, he is also encountering opposition from the religious establishment uh, because he's challenging the status quo. It looks like he's starting a rival movement. Now, we've just had Guy Fawkes Night. It's incredible to think that uh, 416 years after a group of people attempted to blow up the Houses of Parliament, we are still celebrating the fact that the plot failed, but there you go, and the government was not overthrown. Well, to the establishment of his time, Jesus came across as a similar kind of threat. And so in these verses, that is what we see conflict that begins with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these groups of Jewish leaders coming to Jesus to test him. But underneath, it's all about DIY religion. So let's see that. So first of all, in verses 1 to 4, we see the deceptiveness of DIY religion. And on that blue sheet on the back, you can see these headings and take any notes if that is helpful. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's a phrase that is apt at this point, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees are not people that you would expect to find together. They believed different things within, you know, within Judaism of that time. They, they were kind of different groups that had different ideas about what they should be doing. They were kind of political enemies, except when it came to an issue like this. The one thing they would agree is that man-made DIY religion is definitely the way to go. Work your way up the ladder to God's keep the rules that is their system and it's the system Jesus has already clashed with them about in chapter 15. Quoting, so if you look back across the page verse 8 there in chapter 15 he quotes from Isaiah and he says these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me Their worship they worship me in vain their teachings are merely human rules. So he's already made it clear, you see, your your DIY religion, your human rules, they separate you from God and they do not deal with human beings' deepest problem of sin. But now, what is the problem with what they ask Jesus here? What is the problem with this? They test him and they ask him for a sign. This has happened before in, in Matthew's Gospel and in fact, Jesus responded in a similar way at the end of chapter 12. The issue is... The problem is that it sounds very open-minded and fair to come to Jesus and ask for a sign. Lots of people would think this is exactly the sort of thing a rational, reasonable person should say to someone who is claiming to be God on earth. I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary claim, isn't it? I'm not just going to believe that. You need to prove it. Give me a sign. And maybe we can imagine ourselves in that situation thinking that is exactly what I would say. You know, If you really are who who you say you are, prove it to me now or else I'm walking away. And both then and now, that sounds very open-minded and tolerant. They're not saying they don't believe him. They're not saying they do believe him. They're just saying, please, can we have some proof? The problem, however, is that this is not the first time that they've met Jesus. And that's what Jesus means in his response in verses 2 and 3. You know about the weather, he says. Now, we say the same thing today, actually. We, we got it from here, in fact. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Red sky at morning, what do we say? Shepherd's warning, exactly. And that is, we got it from here. It's actually to do with the way that the, the light interacts with areas of high pressure. Do you know that? I, I looked that up this week. But Jesus' point is that even without the knowledge of a 21st century meteorologist, they know how to interpret what is plainly in front of them. When they see things with their eyes, they draw conclusions and they act accordingly. And yet they won't do that with him. With all the opportunities they've had to see with their own eyes what is going on. That this is no ordinary man that this is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And so he he repeats more briefly what he said, first of all, back in chapter 12. You're not going to get any sign when this is your attitude, except this sign of Jonah. Now, back in chapter 12, and we'll put it on the screen, he explains what that is. Jonah, the prophet, in the Old Testament, was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights and so will Jesus be. He will be buried and then he will rise. You can see that he says that there in the second half of that. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man, that's him, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That is the only miracle you need in the end, he's saying. And it's a miracle you can't ignore now you might think Jesus is being a bit harsh why can't he just be a bit more agreeable and do a bit you know a quick bit of water into wine for them just in front of them just to allay their doubts and kind of draw them in you know and get them on his side but the point is he has seen through their charade of reasonable skepticism that's the thing about open-mindedness, isn't it? We like to think, oh, open-mindedness is, is really positive. But as I think C.S. Lewis says, the point of an open mind is like, it's like an open mouth. The point of an open mouth is that it should eventually close on something. And that is the point of an open mind. When you see the truth, when you're confronted with the truth, your mind should accept that, not just insist on remaining open indefinitely. Actually, when you do that, it's a charade for rejecting what is in front of you. Don't be deceived, therefore, by rejection dressed up as open-minded tolerance. Uh, Maybe, um, you know, just think about what's been going on this week with with COP26, and, you know, we we can talk about the, the importance of recognizing what is going on in the world around us and reading the signs of the weather, literally, again, and the climate. And taking that seriously, maybe Jesus would be saying, though, to human beings, well, if you're prepared to do that and look at that evidence and draw conclusions and point out and and jump up and down and say how important it is to draw those conclusions, would he not, though, be saying, look at the evidence that I have given you of who I am and uh, draw the, the right conclusions from that? Because still today we get the same kind of uh, thing going on among people as was going on here with the pharisees and the sadducees so people will say things like you know I, i'm keeping an open mind on jesus i'm not an atheist by any means i, you know, I call myself an agnostic maybe because you know And then they, they go on maybe after that and say well you know because it's not as if there's loads of evidence that can really convince you that christianity is true is it so it, you know it makes sense to sort of keep an open mind on it and then you say well yeah but but hang on actually there is Here it is. Here's here's some evidence here in the Bible. Why don't you look at that? Weigh it up for yourself. At least open it. Have you read it? And then it becomes clear. Actually, no, they're not even prepared to do that. Discounted it without even bothering to read what it's saying and claiming. So what's going on when we or others adopt that kind of attitude is that we're preferring to hold on to our own way of doing DIY religion, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were here. but come on then we might then say you know surely it's so exclusive to say Jesus is the only way surely he's just one way one of many paths to God and again saying that kind of thing sounds very plausible and very positive in our culture today but the thing is no one is actually really prepared to say all truth is relative and live by it, it doesn't really work when you actually try and live it out let me, let me uh, give you an example. I came across this this week. Uh, you, you may be aware the Weatherspoons pub chain came under fire at the beginning of the pandemic when it was reported that the chief executive had sacked all the staff across the whole business. You know, all the, all the sort of waiters and, you know, bar staff and people who worked in the pubs. It was reported that he sacked them all rather than furloughing them. But it turns out, at least according to that uh, chief executive, whose name is Tim Martin, he, he is saying that was a libelous misrepresentation of the truth. And not only has he managed to get numerous newspapers to publish retractions and corrections, he's now collated those retractions and corrections into a magazine, which if you go into a Weatherspoon's, you will find these magazines lying around on the tables, so that you can read them and take them seriously. And there is the headline on the front cover, Does Truth Matter? See, it matters very much to Tim Martin and his team. And that, you know, actually, whatever the truth is with weatherspoons, we can all empathize with that feeling of being lied about in some way. It's interesting, isn't it? That at the point where someone is lying about me, suddenly, truth is no longer subjective or relative, but very black and white. So do you see what that illustrates? It illustrates that really none of us really believe that thing that people say that you know truth is all relative it doesn't really matter what you believe we all know really there are things that are black and white and we will jump up and down about them particularly when they affect us personally Jesus is saying don't be deceived by the type of uh, talk that goes on that says I'm just being as open-minded as I can possibly be no you've got to realize that underneath that is a rejection if it goes on indefinitely of uh, looking at the evidence that he's given us don't be deceived but then we go on verses five and six and we see here the danger of DIY religion so uh, verse uh, five when they went across the lake the disciples forgot to take bread be careful Jesus said to them be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees now What follows here is a slightly confusing conversation at cross-purposes between the disciples and Jesus. So on the one hand, we're told the disciples have forgotten to bring any bread, and we'll come back to that. But on the other hand, Jesus has got a point to make about yeast, which obviously is an ingredient in bread. And if you look down to verse 12, by the end, they've understood. When he says guard against their yeast, he's not giving kind of tips for appearing on Great British Bake Off. He is saying, you need to watch out for and guard against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he's just been in conflict with, the ones he's just been talking to. The implication is that this opposition to Jesus and the teaching that goes with it, they're not just deceptive, they are dangerous. And rather like you might tell a child, you know, stay away from that person. He is troubled, you don't want to listen to him. Jesus is saying the same about this kind of teaching. Now, in that second reading we heard from 1 Corinthians, that Martha read for us, we we heard in that reading that yeast was a common figure of speech for evil. And, And when you think about it, you can think why it might be appropriate. You can see the thing is you only need a tiny amount of yeast, relatively speaking, and it will work through the whole batch you ever made some bread in your bread maker? You'll be well aware, you know, you put all oh, loads and loads of flour and water and all the rest of it, and then you put a tiny little, tiny little bit of yeast, and boom, it makes all the difference to it. And Jesus is saying that even just a tiny little bit of this DIY teaching, this DIY religious teaching that you get when you listen to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or when you fall for it yourselves, that that is insidious. It will get everywhere. It will ruin everything. It's dangerous. Watch out. Avoid it. Now, why would he say that? Well, he would say that because the the problem, as he's made clear through the gospel, is that DIY religion will blind you to what Jesus has really come to do. The only sign, he says, that really matters in the end... Verse 4 is the sign of Jonah, his, his death and resurrection. That's the only miracle in the end that you need to look at. The one that matters most of all. And it's the sign they're most likely to ignore because it's the sign that says you can't work your way up to God by what you do. DIY doesn't work. The only way you're going to get back to God is by him coming down here as a man and by dying on the cross in your place so that you simply have to trust in him not in yourself not in your own efforts but in him see jesus is not just one other truth to line up alongside all the other religious truths about how human beings can get to god it's a completely different kind of truth so if you cling on to man-made religion you are rejecting jesus and his death so guard against it he says don't be influenced by it. It's one or the other. This really matters. If we haven't yet come to know what it means to follow Jesus for ourselves, and we're still looking into that, this is something we really need to hear, to understand the danger of imagining that all that God is looking for is a little bit more religious effort, a little bit of church attendance, a few good deeds here and there. It is deadly to think like that because it will make us think... we. You know, really, we don't really need Jesus at all. All we need is some version of human effort and we'll be fine. But actually, this is something we need to hear if we're already following Jesus as well. He says this to the disciples who are already following him. He doesn't just say, you know, huh, it's great that you guys haven't fallen for that, isn't it? Fantastic. You know, thank God that you're not like those Pharisees. He doesn't say that, does he? He says... Guard against their teaching. You might fall for it too. There's a danger here. And that's because if it's true that we begin the Christian life by stopping trusting in our own efforts to get to God and and trusting only in Jesus, it's also true that that is how we go on in the Christian life. So when we face a problem, a challenge, a trial, we go through suffering, we struggle with sin, what is our response to that? What do we think we need well, you know, we, 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 we need to try harder to trust God more, we might think. We, you know, we, we need a bit of a spiritual pep talk, we might think. You know, we might say, you know, come on, what do you mean you struggle with craving other people's approval more than God's? Well, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop it now. What do you mean you feel like you're addicted to some, you know, destructive pattern of behavior, to self-loathing, to alcohol, to porn, to lust? Well, you're a Christian. You need to stop doing that right now. Can you hear what's behind that kind of thinking when we say that or we think that? It's actually still a version of DIY religion. You know, it's saying, at the end of the day, if you're going to make any progress as a Christian, it's down to you. Come on. And the reason you're not making progress is you're just jolly well not trying hard enough. And if you were a real Christian, you would be pulling your finger out and doing something about this. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Be on your guard against that kind of teaching. And yes, that means even you, Christian, who thinks they already trust in Jesus. What you actually need is not more kind of DIY techniques and pep talks and resolutions to try harder and be a better person. What you need is Jesus. And that is where Jesus lands in the final verses as he clears up this confusion about bread and yeast with the disciples and so we see finally the antidote to diy religion i think uh, david last week referred to the disciples as the disciples which is quite an apt way of referring to them and we get some more of that kind of sense of uh, of them just not seeing what is going on here again they look blankly at each other. He, he's mentioned yeast, guys. Uh, is it because we've forgotten the bread? So Jesus says, are oh, you of little faith? Why are you still fixated on bread? And, you know, it, it, by implication, worrying about whether you, you're going to have enough to eat on this journey, like you've kept on worrying in other places in the, in the previous couple of chapters, that we're going to run out of food. Don't you get it yet? What have you just observed? You know, twice in close succession. First, among Jewish people, there were how many loaves? Five loaves, and then how many men? Five thousand with their wives and children. How many baskets of leftovers was it again? Oh, it was twelve, because everyone had more than enough and was fed uh, with plenty. And again, last time we saw, uh, rather than in a Jewish area, he then did it again in a Gentile area, with Gentile people. And there were seven loaves, and there were 4,000 people, and how many basketfuls was it? Oh, it was seven that time. Don't you get it yet? About who you're dealing with here? This is why they need to guard against the DIY religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because it blinds people to seeing clearly who Jesus is and what he is offering but Jesus doesn't just wash his hands and walk away he then shows them what the antidote is to their confusion and it is to look again at the evidence that he's already given that's what he says to them isn't it Remember the 5,000, remember the 4,000. Look at the signs that I've given you. Look at the signs of who I am. Look at the evidence that's in front of your eyes. That same evidence that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have already made their mind up to ignore as they come and say, give us another sign. Well, the signs are here. You've got the signs that you need. Look and be encouraged. Back in chapter 6 in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed the issue of anxiety. And he said, Why do you worry about food and clothing? You know, your heavenly father knows you need these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. And what we have here is a kind of worked example of what he's saying. You know, because here are the disciples, and and once again, they're kind of fretting and distracted about bread and food, the next meal. And they're thinking purely in terms of here and now. And it's very human and it's very like all of us in in many ways, like like we all do at different times. And Jesus' response is to say, your fretting shows you, you just still haven't quite grasped who I am. And the solution is to look at the evidence you already have and that we still have today. That's the point, isn't it? That it's been recorded for us by the eyewitnesses like Matthew who saw him do these things because if Jesus is the one who fed thousands of people from a packed lunch when you face trials and suffering and sin you you know you don't need a a pep talk you don't need to just you know try and work a little bit harder pull your finger out solve the problem single-handedly no you need him because look he's the one with the power he can feed all these people you need to look to him because look at who he is he promises to care and provide and save and secure your place in his kingdom not on the basis of your DIY efforts to prove that you belong there no he's not interested in that but on the basis of his death and resurrection that sign of Jonah as he called it so look there DIY religion is deceptive and dangerous because it convinces us that life in the end comes down to whether or not we can measure up and achieve and prove ourselves and if we don't and we allow ourselves to drop the ball the sky will fall in and it will be terrible. That is the DIY religion mindset and it's not just bad for our mental health which if we're honest we know we see more and more in, you know, in these times. It is bad for our spiritual health because it stops us trusting Jesus. This is deadly and dangerous. Don't be deceived. The antidote is to look simply to Jesus and to stick with him. Now it's hard to do that by ourselves that's why we need each other and we began to think about this in our vision meeting on Wednesday but that is why we need to be a church where we have a culture of doing that with one another of looking to Jesus of not not putting on a front of you know look at me how hard I'm able to work and just deal and sail through life uh, as if nothing's ever wrong you know no that's not a problem at all as we face the issues and then people look at us and they think well They don't seem to have a problem, even though underneath it's just a front, and really what's going on inside is completely different. But no, we want to be a culture where we're able to be honest with each other and say, you know, yeah, we're not about DIY religion here, we're about being able to be honest with one another, because we all need Jesus. And we all need to keep encouraging each other to look not to ourselves, but to look to him. So it's very simple things like offering to pray for each other in the face of difficulty and offering to pray not just for the problem to go away, but to know Jesus' presence in the midst of the problem. And then if, we, if, we're, if we're struggling to believe and we're struggling, if we're just struggling to, to kind of really trust that that is true and that we can trust Jesus in the midst of these issues that we face, whatever we are, what do we do? Well, Jesus says to us, go back to the evidence. Go back to the miracles, the feedings. Go back to the sign of Jonah, to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which prove his authority over life and death and his victory over the sin that besets us. What is the setback? What is the suffering? What is the situation that each of us is struggling with? The sin that is besetting us, that we're particularly aware of, maybe today, that we're setting out into this week to deal with, what is on our hearts and our minds? Well, we, we need to know Jesus has authority even over that. He may not solve it today, but He's got the whole world in His hands. And if you don't believe that, go back to the signs. Go back to these signposts that he has given us. Look at his effortless authority in the Gospels over hunger, over poverty, over natural disasters, over death, over sin, over everything that stands between us and God's. He has all authority. He has died and he's risen from the dead. We don't need to look to ourselves and our feeble efforts that never work anyway. Whatever it is, we can trust him. So quit. Quit the DIY. And stick with Jesus. That is what he's calling us to do today. Lord, we so often find ourselves to be people of little faith, and yet we praise you for Jesus. That it's not about what we do for him, it's not even about the size of our faith in him, it is about him and his power, his authority. That we can trust him in the face of our sin, in the face of the setbacks and the suffering and the situations that we face we bring them to him. We put them at your feet. Lord God, we ask now that you would help us to encourage each other to be a church where we're able to be honest about our lives because it's not about proving that we're good enough, but it's about demonstrating that we're trusting in Jesus and helping each other to do the same. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.